Now, David Brainerd is a name that many have heard of, but few have really uh, considered carefully. And in one sense, he was one of the primary catalysts for the modern missions movement. Uh, what he did and what he uh, wrote inspired many. Uh, here's what a few famous people have said about him. When I say famous, I mean famous in the missionary pastoral sense. John Wesley said this, Let every preacher read carefully over the life of David Brainerd. Why did he say that? Because in that he found life. He found inspiration. He found hope in reading through it. Henry Martin, the, uh, another missionary, said, Perusing the life of David Brainerd, that his soul was filled with holy emulation of that extraordinary man. And after deep consideration and fervent prayer, I am at length fixed in a resolution to imitate his example. I want to be like him. Um, William Carey, another great missionary, said, His diary is like a sacred text to me. Why did he say that? Because it fed him. And why could it feed him? Because it was full of the Word of God in one respect and also the inspiration, not inspiration in the sense of Scripture, but just be, he, David Brainerd was a man inspired by the Holy Spirit, and you see that in uh, his writings. David Livingston, who uh, Scott talked about last week, Jim Elliott, Andrew Murray, Robert Murray McShane, all claim to have drawn strength from this man's diary. And so, who was David Brainerd? Well, he was born on April 20th, 1718 in Haddam, Connecticut. I could not find a picture of Haddam, Connecticut back the time he lived there. Uh, but this is it today. It is a beautiful uh, little town. It is right on the Connecticut River. Uh, just a, 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 I mean, at least in probably spring and fall, I would love to live there. <laughs> Not so sure about summer and winter. But I mean, it is, it is a beautiful place. Um, he was the sixth out of ten children. His father died when he was nine years old. Uh, John Piper says about this uh, that if he was thinking about a, a boy needing his father, nine years old is probably the most crucial time because they, they tend to cling to you at that time and they, they just need that, that, that affection. Uh, but he lost uh, his father when he was nine. His mother died uh, a couple years later when he was 13 years old. Uh, at that point, he went and moved in with his older sister who was uh, married and uh, stayed there until he went off to college. It seems in the entire family, there was an unusual strain of weakness and depression. And by the way, I meant to mention this at the beginning, but where am I getting my sources from this? Primarily, I'm pulling from a John Piper's short biography on his life, and then also reading his uh, diary myself. Uh, but uh, this is, is some of the information that really comes out from John Piper here. He says, look, his brother Nehemiah died at the age of 32. His brother Israel died at the age of 23. His sister Jerusa died at the age of 34. And David Brainerd himself only lived to the age of 29. Um, David Brainerd said this, uh, I have since youth been inclined to depression. They would use the word melancholy. That was what they, they called it back then. But I was inclined to depression. And John Piper said this is probably an understatement. Uh, more, more than inclined, I mean, he, he, he struggled with it. It was a difficulty for him. Uh, and this depression even continued after salvation. But he said it was different then. It was never as deep. I, I, would, I would lament over my sinfulness. I would lament over all these type of things. But never once would I really doubt I was a child of God. 
And so he said it was definitely different after that. From the age of 13 to the age of uh, 21, uh, he desperately tried to live for God. Uh, we would call this season of his life possibly religion without salvation is what he had. Uh, it was during this time he had made a commitment to preach. Um, he would read the Bible through a lot from the age of 20. He read it through twice that year. <clears throat> and he would spend long time, long periods of time in prayer every day, just praying, praying. But there were several things about Scripture and the doctrine of Christianity that he did not like. Uh, he did not like the idea of original sin, that somehow Adam's guilt is transferred to us and we get a sin nature. He hated that idea. Um, he thought God's law was too strict, uh, primarily because he knew he couldn't keep it. He kept trying. And he would, he would say, yeah, I'd muster up a little more hope. i fail this time, but maybe if I have more time to focus on these things later, I'll be able to do it. And so he used to try to, to do that. Uh, he did not like the idea of God being sovereign. Uh, he wanted autonomy uh, in his own lives and decisions. Um, and in all of it, he, he did not like the idea of faith alone, that we are saved by God's work through faith alone, primarily because all this time he was trying to commend himself before God. That's what he was doing with all of this. He said at one point later, speaking back about this period, he said, all my frames were but self-righteousness. None of it was bottomed in a desire for the glory of God. Here's another quote uh, that he said regarding this time. He said, There was no more goodness in my praying than there would be in my paddling with my hands in the water, because my prayers were not performed from any love or regard to God. I never once prayed for the glory of God. I never once intended His honor and glory. I had never once acted for God in all my devotions. I used to charge them with sin, talking about his prayers and his, his devotions, because I'd have wandering and vain thoughts, but not because I never had any regard in them for the glory of God. This was a self-seeking, self-righteous religion that he was trying to pursue. He was trying to bring honor to himself. Like the natural man, he wanted to suppress the truth of God. Uh, he didn't like God, ultimately, even while doing all of this. But something changed in July 12th of 1739 at the age of 21. Uh, he, he mentioned this is a long uh, period or a long set of writings in his journals. He says, look, I came to the realization that I am utterly sinful. I cannot keep the law of God. It is only through Christ's sacrifice that I am saved. I need his imputed righteousness. I need all of this. And he said, then this also happened. Before, he wanted nothing to do with the glory of God. And then it says here, it says, As I was walking in a thick, dark, or dark, thick grove, unspeakable glory seemed to open to view and apprehension of my soul. It was a new inward apprehension or view that I had of God, such as I never had before, nor anything that I had had the least remembrance of it, so that I stood still and wondered and admired. Thus the Lord, I trust, brought me to a heartily desire to exalt Him him to set him on the throne and to seek first his kingdom principally and ultimately to aim at his honor and glory as the king and sovereign of the universe which is the foundation of the religion of jesus i felt myself in a new world all of a sudden his eyes the entire time had been focused on him and they were lifted up 
and put on Christ. And he desired at that point, I'm going to live for his glory. And uh, John Piper said this new life was going to ruin his educational career, as we will see. Uh, But it is going to rescue him from despair over and over in his life because his eyes were turned away from him and turned to the glory of God. So as we start looking at this, we can ask ourselves questions. Where are our eyes truly focused? When we come to church, when we come to worship, when we read our Bibles, when we pray, what is it we're truly focused on? Is it the glory of God we want or the glory of us? That will change everything. Um, at the age of 20 years, 21, sorry, uh, the same year that uh, he was saved, uh, he went to Yale to study for the ministry. Remember, he had made a commitment to preach. That stayed even after he uh, truly got saved. And so he went there to study. The first year he was there, he was there uh, about two and a half years, uh, he came down with the measles and had to go home, go home for several weeks. Back then, medicine was scarce, and this was a very serious thing. Uh, so he had to go home for several weeks. The next year, he goes there, and he begins. He gets so sick that he begins to spit up blood. And this uh, coughing and spitting up blood would uh, be with him for the rest of his life. Uh, many estimate that it was tuberculosis that he had. And it was going to take his life at the age of 29. Never lived without it from that point on. Um, John Piper actually points this out. He goes, you know, some people look at a short life like this. And he goes, look, the amazing thing is not that he died so early and accomplished so little. The amazing thing is that being as sick as he was, he lived as long as he did and accomplished so much. And this is really what starts making him stand out in the eyes of people who read him and begin to understand who he was. David Brainerd lived a life that said, I am going to redeem the time. Every one of us in this room before long is going to have a tombstone with our name on it. What are we doing right now? David Brainerd said, I'm going to give it all. I'm going to give everything I have to the Lord. As sinful as I am and as struggling as I am, I will give it all. So what are we living for? Are we redeeming the time? But then there was this incident at Yale uh, while he was there that took place. And this is what Jonathan, or this is what John Piper meant when he said this change in heart was going to ruin his educational career. Um, at the time he was at Yale, uh, the spiritual atmosphere uh, was very dry. It was very dead uh, spiritually. In 1741, uh, this was two years after his conversion, so it had been his second year there. George Whitfield uh, spoke at Yale, and revival started to hit the students. So this is during the Great Awakening, as this is going on. <clears throat> and so the students there are experiencing true conversion. Uh, they're not just going through dry, dead, rote religion anymore. The students are starting to come to life. But the administration at Yale did not approve of this enthusiasm, as they called it. Now, uh, this enthusiasm, by the way, in some places did go too far. But it was not all a problem. Uh, This is actually why Jonathan Edwards wrote the book. uh, I I just drawed a blank. Uh, The Affections. No, no, he wrote a book on the religious affections. And he's trying to decipher, uh, you know, lay out what is true religious affections, enthusiasm, and what is not. So that book is really dealing with a lot of that whole idea. But 
the, the administration did not like what was happening with the students. So they said, here's what we're going to do. We're going to invite Jonathan Edwards to speak to them and calm them all down. <laughs> and you get where that went. <laughs> he thoroughly disappointed them. Um, he argued, look, even if there is some enthusiasm going too far, this is a work of God. This is the Spirit of God working in the lives of men and women, and they are coming to life. Brainerd was there when he heard that message, or when, when Jonathan Edwards gave that message. So, some people have estimated, I wonder later on in life, uh, if Edwards ever felt guilty for what happened next a little bit. Uh, because the same morning Edwards was invited to preach, the trustees got together and voted at Yale and said, look, if anyone, any student speaks against any faculty or rector or dean or whoever, as if that person may not be saved, then the first time they do it, they're going to have to come into the hall and make a public confession. The second time they, were, they do it, they will be expelled. Well, shortly after Edward's uh, visit, Brainerd was heard speaking of someone by the name of Chauncey Whittlesley. Now, if I had a friend named Chauncey Whittlesley, I'd probably give him a hard time too. Uh, <laughs> But uh, Chauncey had gotten up and he did this prayer and I guess it was just all flowery and fluff. And uh, David Brainerd said of his prayer, and he was a tutor there, he said, he has no more grace than a chair. <laughs> um, and later, because the rector was fining students for uh, making statements like this and doing, uh, you know, for basically for their zeal, uh, Brainerd later said... Uh, he was surprised that the rector did not drop down dead for finding students for their zeal. And based on this, Brainerd was expelled. This crushed Brainerd. I mean, to the heart. Uh, he tried repeatedly, year after year, with apologies, and even great men of the community would come and go with him to Yale to try to get him back in, and they never accepted him back in. Um, now, this is an interesting moment. Because this is godly zeal seeming to be mixed with a little bit of sinfulness. If you know the rules of the college are, are this, it, it's really an interesting moment. And Brainerd, you know, though he knew God had forgiven him for it, understood that sinfulness was part of his problem here. But just like Paul, he came to know and say things like, I want you to know that what has happened to me even though some of it was brought on by my own sinfulness, has served for the advance of the gospel. And that's really what was going to happen. Um, and so since he could no longer become a preacher through Yale, he decided, well, what I'll do is become a missionary. But even to do that, you needed to still be able to preach. So he went and studied with a pastor for a while and, and uh, was able to preach. Uh, but then he became a missionary. And so at the age of 23... He became a missionary to the American Indians, and he did this for the last six years of his life. During that time, he led a, a few hundred, actually, it, it was, uh, I think, about 150 uh, Indians to the Lord uh, during this time. So, you know, the, the size of a small congregation. So a lot of people would look at his life and say, you know, that's interesting. Didn't accomplish that much. I mean, there wasn't, he, he started no great awakening. 
He didn't have large crowds flock to see him. He didn't have, you know, he wasn't one of these guys who were vision casting and, and creating all these movements and building great buildings and all this type of stuff. He didn't do any of that. I mean, he was just a guy who lived alone with the Indians in, in poor conditions and then died. Some people get saved by that, which is obviously an eternal, uh, wonderful thing. But what is it? I mean, eventually, in March of 1747, he grew too ill to continue. And that's when he went to Jonathan Edwards' house. And he died there. He was nursed by Jonathan Edwards' daughter, Jerusa. Uh, and shortly after Brainerd died, she died as well from the disease. Mm-hmm. Years later... Jonathan Edwards, knowing that his daughter died from contact with David Brainerd, still said, David Brainerd, living with us, was one of the greatest blessings God has ever given us. So what is it about this man? If that's all he did, I mean, you compare his life to someone like uh, David Livingston, who we looked at last week. He went here, he accomplished this, he discovered that. David Brainerd didn't really have any of that. So what is it that makes him stand out so much? Well, it's what he gave us. And I've mentioned it several times uh, already this morning. He gave us 300 pages of a spiritually rich journal that will inspire anyone who desires to live for God in the midst of suffering and press on during all of it. Uh, I I challenge every one of you to read it. So he, he kept this diary all his life, which in the end he gave Jonathan Edwards the permission to publish. There were three volumes. He only allowed the last uh, edition, the last volume to be published. He said, look, none of this was ever written for public consumption. This was only for me. And so he, he was really reluctant. And I think part of the reason he, he didn't give the first two volumes, because some of it was written during the time when he was at, at Yale and all of this. And I think that he probably knew, I've said some things in this journal that were sinful, that were wrong, and I'd just don't want that going out. Um, but, you know, in the end, he gives us this. And so we get to glimpse into the life of David Brainerd, into his secret thoughts, into his heart as we read it. And that's what's inspired so many people. And so I think the best way for me to um, give you a glimpse of the life of David Brainerd is actually to give you quotes and give you some thoughts from his journal as we go through this. But, you know, I want, I want to start off by just saying how much he suffered and what he, he endured. So first, here, here's some thoughts about his, um, his sickness. So he had, the entire time he was saved, he was sick. There wasn't a day uh, that he was free of it uh, as a Christian. Um, he said this one night, he said, "...rode several hours in the rain through the howling wilderness." I was so disordered in body that little or nothing but blood came from me. That's just some of the things he, uh, he endured. Another time he said, In the afternoon my pain increased exceedingly, and I was bl- obliged to betake myself to bed. Was sometimes almost bereaved of the exercise of my reason by the extremity of my pain. Now we have all had bad nights, right? Or you can't sleep. He had them too, regularly. Here's the one morning he wrote this. He goes, Having lain in a cold sweat all night, I coughed much bloody matter this morning and was under great disorder of body and not a little melancholy. So he's got this sickness 
and then this depression along with it. And you know whether this was a chemical imbalance or not, I, th- I think the depression is just caused by the suffering he constantly went through. Um, so, I mean, regarding his uh, depression, here's something he said right before he was getting ready to go to the Indians uh, to uh, minister to them. He says, Scarce ever felt myself so unfit to exist as now. I saw I was not worthy of a place amongst the Indians where I am going. No one knows, but those that feel it, what the soul endures that is sensibly shut out from the presence of God. Alas, tis more bitter than death. And you read other areas in his journal, and he says things like, Lord, I will gladly bear any trial, but the one that is so hard to bear is the sense of my own sinfulness and the sense that you are not giving me a sense of your presence. He knew he didn't think he was unsaved, but he knew that God does sometimes withdraw from us and, and, and make us to where we're not sensible of his presence. And he, is, he has a plan when he does that, I think, as we'll see as we go through some of this. But another time he said this about his depression. I was so overwhelmed with dejection that I knew not how to live. I longed for death exceedingly. My soul was sunk in deep waters, and the floods were ready to drown me. I was so much oppressed that my soul was in a kind of horror. And this happens over and over throughout his journal. But that's not all. I mean, it's not as if that's all he had. Somehow he had joy in the midst of it all, which we will get to. But I mean, like Paul, you can see him saying, for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. If I'm not going home now, and in any of this, by the way, he never once considered suicide. He would just pray that the Lord would take him home. Maybe now it's time. Take me home, Lord. Um, But if not, I am going to serve with everything I have. I'm going to give the Lord everything I've got. Along with this, there was loneliness. Because remember, he lived alone in a small hut with the Indians. Um, And other times he would talk about longing for strong Christian fellowship. He says, most of the talk I hear is either Highland Scotch or Indian. I have no fellow Christian to whom I might unbosom myself and lay open my spiritual sorrows and with whom I might take sweet counsel in conversation about heavenly things and join in social prayer. Think of how many times you've had a rough week and you get together at church or you get together with a fellow Christian and you just talk talking about scripture and, and the struggles and the answers that are found in there. How many times that has lifted you up? There are so many times he longed for that, but there was it was not available to him because of where he was. On top of that, he had very poor living conditions. Uh, he says this, I live poorly with regard to the comforts of life. Most of my diet consists of boiled corn, hasty pudding, etc. I lodge on a bundle of straw, and my labor is hard and extremely difficult. I have little experience of success to comfort me. He tells one story in his journal where he says, because of my lungs and and the the disease I have, it would be 27 degrees outside. I'm in this little hut and I've got this fire going. I need the fire to keep warm, but the fire would just choke me out and would just burn my lungs. So the only option I had at that moment was to go outside. He goes, until I would get a little fresh air, but then I would start to freeze. 
And then I would go back in to warm back up and I would start to choke. And then I would go back out and he would spend nights doing this. And uh, I mean, this was some of the conditions he lived in. Another time he says, look, I had no bread, nor could I get any. I am forced to go or send 10 or 15 miles for all the bread I eat. And sometimes it is moldy and sour before I eat it. If I get any considerable quantity, uh, but through divine goodness, I had some Indian meal of which I made little cakes and fried them, yet felt contented with my circumstances and sweetly resigned to God. Notice the end of that statement. I get no bread. I'm living in these conditions, yet I feel contented and I am sweetly resigned to God. What was it? What did he have? Well, I think like the statement Jesus said, I think he has bread. He had bread that many of us know nothing about. And that was serving his God. There was something that nourished him deeper than any of these trials could take away. He had joy in the midst of it all. He was faithful. So there was there was joy in the midst of depression and there was strength in the midst of weakness. Um and here's something we also need to keep in mind. Towards the end, uh, after being there about four years, a couple years before he died, he was actually offered pastorates in towns. People would say, well, you can come be our pastor. And at one point, uh, uh, he was in, I believe it was in Long Island, he was offered a pastorate. And Jonathan Edwards said, this is one of the most beautiful towns you would ever want to live in. And is one of the most wealthy parishes as well. And so here's, here's what he was offered. He was offered a lovely house instead of a straw hut. Uh, He was offered clean heat in the winter winter instead of a fire in a hut hut that burned his lungs. He was offered a soft bed instead of straw. And he was offered to be surrounded by Christians who would have loved him instead of the Indians who demanded much from him but didn't care too much for him. He prayed about it and prayed about it and said, Nope. I am called to the Indians. A sick man. Uh, you know, you think about what he must have suffered. But this is what he says about his fatigues and about his sufferings. He says, oh, by the way, I was supposed to show you that picture. That's just him preaching to the Indians. Uh, that was supposed to be up while I was moving along. But, so, so how did he do it? Here's something he said. He said, such fatigues and hardships as these serve to wean me from the earth and I trust will make heaven all the sweeter. What he did is he would think about the weight of suffering. You've all felt suffering, and you felt its weight, and it bears down, and it is heavy. But then he would compare it to the weight of glory and say, this is nothing. And he would press on. And so, um, through all of this, I mean, he stayed faithful not only to uh, God, but he stayed faithful to the Indians to whom he was called. And as you think about this, most of us uh, will never live lives of spiritual greatness because we're going to flee to retirement at the first sight of pain. But Brainerd didn't. And that's why he is so encouraging. He trusted God was sovereign over all his sufferings. That's how he did it. He knew his God and he walked closely with him. 
and was nourished by him, even in the midst of these difficulties. He was a man of great prayer. In December of 26, 1742, he said this, "...felt much sweetness and tenderness in prayer, especially my whole soul seemed to love my worst enemies and was enabled to pray for those that are strangers and enemies to God." with a great degree of softness and pathetic fervor. So as you're reading through this contrast of suffering, you see these moments of sweetness he has with the Lord repeatedly, over and over, because he stayed so closely to him. Another time he talks about his prayer, and he says, "...felt my heat drawn out after God in prayer, almost all the forenoon, especially while riding." And in the evening, could not help but crying to God for those poor Indians. And after I went to, my, uh, went to bed, my heart continued to go out to God for them till I dropped asleep. Oh, blessed be God that I may pray. He prayed and he prayed. On several occasions, you see, I wanted to stay up all night and pray. One time he was visiting a friend and he went out to pray and he said, I was out in the field praying but I knew I had to go back because I did not want to keep them up and worrying. But, oh, I just wanted to stay and pray. He was so closely intimate with his Father in heaven. And he studied the Word of God constantly. What's amazing is when you read his journal, he said, spent two to three hours writing on this divine topic and uh, found much clarity and assistance from the Lord in all of it. What's amazing is... We don't have any of those writings. Wouldn't you love to dig into those, these theological uh, things he's deciphering? And he would read Scripture uh, repeatedly. He would fast regularly. You, you read things where you'd say, I would fast all day because my soul was in tumult or distress. And what's amazing is almost at the end of every one of those fastings, he found the assistance he was looking for. You would see a change in his disposition in the way he was writing just spending time with his Lord. And uh, there were times where he would say, you know, I needed to preach today, but my body was too sick. I barely had the strength to stand there. But what happened? The Lord assisted, and I preached with power. I don't know how many times you read through that. Uh, here's another, um, another quote, you know, just about him finding his delight and his strength in God. He said, Oh, how I longed to, be, to fill the remaining moments all for God. Though my body was so feeble and wearied with preaching and much private conversation, yet I wanted to sit up all night and do something for God. To God, the giver of these refreshments, be the glory forever. Amen. Isaiah says, God gives strength to the weary. And that's what he found. I don't know what you're facing, but if you're a child of God, there's only one qualification you need to get strength from the Lord, and that is to be weary. I don't know where you find yourself weary, but I pray that you will find your strength in God. Go to Him. He gives us strength, and He gave David Brainerd strength. On another, on another time, he said this, When I really enjoy God, I feel my desires of Him the more insatiable, and my thirstings after holiness the more unquenchable. Oh, for holiness! Oh, for more of God in my soul! Oh, this pleasing pain! 
That is just an interesting statement, isn't it? You think about mourning, the Beatitudes, poverty of spirit. Those are pleasing pains. And he hungered for them more and more. It makes my soul press after God. Oh, that I might, uh, might not loiter on my heavenly journey. If you want a summary of his life, it's that statement right there. Oh, that I might not loiter on my heavenly journey. We loiter a lot. I loiter a lot. But how much more is it worth giving our lives to the Lord and, and spending every moment with Him? Even in the midst of suffering, even in the midst of difficulty, we will find the strength that David Brainerd found to keep us going. In this fallen world, yes, that's where we live. It is going to hurt. But stay close to your Savior because you will go from strength to strength, the Scripture says. And that's what he did. And another thing I find uh, encouraging about this is some people say, well, because of my struggles, because of this situation, I can't go do great exploits for the Lord like David Livingston. Well, not everybody's called to. You can be a person of prayer who diaries, who that might change someone's life in the future. You know, what we do is not the most important. It's how we do it. Is our soul entirely given to the Lord? And so I'll leave you with this as we look at the uh, close of the life of David Brainerd. Um, may you never loiter in your heavenly journey. Because it's almost over. I don't know where you are. Your journey in this life is almost done. And it is nothing compared to eternity. What are you going to do with it? How are you going to give it to Him? Maybe this afternoon, instead of doing all the things we typically do, maybe it's time to just stay up and spend some time in prayer. Maybe later tonight, instead of turning on the TV, Maybe it's time to pick up the scriptures and read 10 chapters and see what the Lord has to say to us. What are we going to do? How are we going to live for Him? So seek Him daily. And what's going to happen is that light's going to start to burn in you and you will be someone who is bringing light to a fallen world. Let's go ahead and close in prayer. Before you pray, what does loiter mean? Loiter means to uh, stand around, not go anywhere. Just be... uh, Still, I'm trying to think of another waste time. Waste time, yeah. So, let's close in prayer. Dear Lord, we thank you and we praise you for the life of David Brainerd. And we thank you that in the midst of it all, you were with him. And, and we thank you that uh, you encouraged him to write down all these moments of uh, times where you nourished him so that we can see it as well. We ask that as we go out from here that we will be different than when we came in that we'll be people who want to live for you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.